Hey, everybody, and welcome back to I Just Want to Talk About the Bible. If this is your first time with us today, then welcome. I'm very glad that you're here. My name is Christian Keeter, and I live in the southeast of the United States of America with my amazing, beautiful, godly wife, Lacey, and our two wonderful daughters, Felicity and Serenity. So welcome to 2023, everybody. I hope that you all had a wonderful Christmas and that the new year is starting off well for you. And uh, in today's episode, we're actually going to be talking about something that is super foundational and uh, super indispensable. And if we can really grasp it and, and understand it and take it to heart and pray through it and meditate on it and all these things, if we can really, with you know, with God's help, understand what we're talking about today, it will uh, completely transform the upcoming year for us, 2023, if, if we can understand this topic in new ways and in new depths. And uh, hopefully this conversation will be orienting. Hopefully we get started out on the right foot. So simply put, what are we talking about today? We are talking about the Lord's love for us and our reciprocal love for him. Now, love for the Lord is what should drive our obedience to him. Uh, in John fourteen fifteen, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In fact, remember that Jesus summed up the entire law by saying, Love God and love others. That's in, in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, and I obviously uh, just really abbreviated that. But the entire law summed up in love God and love others. Trying to obey the Lord for other reasons besides love for him will not do. It will lead to an external obedience at best, but not an obedience from the heart. We may try to obey him because we are trying to earn his love, but he has already given us his love freely, and it won't be long before we're crushed by the fact that we can't seem to perfectly obey. We may try to obey him for fear of him punishing us, but this will just lead to things like bitterness. We may be trying to keep God happy with us, but those who are born again are already his beloved children in Christ. In fact, one metric for how much we actually love Jesus is to see how we respond when he leads us to do things we may not want to do. The only way to truly obey the Lord from the heart is for that obedience to flow out of a love for him. And the way that we grow in our love for him is simply to be with him and to experience his love. And this is just very, very important for us to understand because, uh, you know, we can try to muster up, like I said, external obedience. We can do the right things externally. We can, but I mean, but the Bible is constantly bringing matters back to the heart. And even just look at what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount where, you know, he takes murder and then brings it down to the level of anger. Remember that? And where it's just like he's taking it from the external action and taking it down to the heart level. And plus, we know scriptures that say, you know, that God looks on the heart. And, and we also just know this intuitively, that if somebody's just kind of like, you know, doing something externally right, but their heart isn't in it, we just kind of know it's like, well, that's not that's not good. Um, and so my point is just, yeah, we can we can muster up some external um, obedience. And I'm putting quotes around obedience there. But for true obedience from the heart, that has to flow from a love for Jesus. And the way that we grow in our love for him is to be with him and to experience his love for us. In fact, 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us, which is why earlier I used the word reciprocal. God's love for us and our reciprocal love for him because he took the initiative. He, he said, I love you first. And then what, uh, what we say in response is, I love you too. I love you too, because his I love you has already been put out there. 
And as we come to believe that and to experience that, we are changed. And the love of God will completely change us. And, uh, and we will come to want to obey him. And our love for him will supplant competing desires. Here's the thing. Christianity is not about performing better. It's about having an intimate relationship with the Lord where we love him more than anything else in the whole wide world. But we honestly often settle, you know, for less than that. We often celebrate behavior modification and possibly even endorse legalism instead of developing a deep love for Jesus and letting our obedience to him flow from that. And, you know, when we, when we do this, when we just kind of celebrate behavior modification, somebody might be quote, obeying externally, but internally they, they're probably frustrated or angry or, you know, things like that. And so, um, yes, a person should be completely and entirely transformed by the gospel. I mean, the Bible is clear that faith without works is dead. Um, but, but the point is that what transforms us is the love of God and what Jesus has done for us. And then our, you know, our obedience to him flows just kind of naturally from a love for him. It's not about just gritting our teeth and trying to force ourselves to do the right thing. Honestly, that's probably striving to, uh, obey the Lord in the power of the flesh. No, it's, it is this spirit led spirit empowered obedience that flows from a heart that is just running over because of how aware that person is of the love of God for them. And then they, you know, they're, like I said, reciprocal love for him. So this is, this is very important because I mean, we oftentimes have the wrong metrics for spiritual maturity. We think that just because somebody, you know, maybe knows a lot of Bible verses, um, that they're spiritually mature. And while it's true that if someone is spiritually mature, they should certainly be growing in their knowledge of the word of God and, and be seeking the Lord through his word. Just because somebody knows Bible verses doesn't mean they're mature. And I mean, we could use, I mean, uh, the Pharisees knew a lot of scripture. I mean, you'll recall that when Jesus was in the wilderness, um, Satan quoted scripture. So we can see just from these examples alone that just knowing scripture is not an indication of spiritual maturity, but spiritual maturity is going to be measured by things like uh, basically our love. How much do we love the Lord? How much do we love others? How aware of we, how, oh, I'm sorry, how aware are we of his love for us? Um, in fact, in, in the past when I've talked about or thought about what spiritual maturity looks like, um, the list in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, the fruit of the spirit comes to mind where it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. And so it's like, okay, if we want to, you know, if we want to measure how we're doing spiritually, as far as spiritual maturity goes, let's, let's look at ourselves with these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control here. And so, but, but simply put, I mean, are we loving people? Are we loving God? And are we loving others? Like I said, uh, you know, Jesus summed up the en entire law with love God and love others. He said, in fact, you know, I've referenced this passage multiple times already. Let me just go here and uh, in Matthew 22 and read this. So Matthew 22, beginning in verse 37, it says, and he said to him, um, Jesus is speaking here, of course. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. 
That's the end of the passage. We notice how he said, depend all the law and the prophets. It all hinges on these two things. If we're doing these two things, everything else is going to fall into place. And so, but what I'm saying is, in order to even do these things, we need to be aware of God's love for us. How do you just, how do you just generate love? How do you just out of thin air generate love? Well, you don't. It's reciprocal. Like I said, our love for God is an I love you too to the I love you that he's already said. And so as we become more and more acquainted with his I love you, the more I love you too will just spill out. It'll just flow out of us naturally and that'll work itself out into our behavior. And um, and, and we'll be, you know, will be transformed. And, and just as a, you know, as just to be clear, you know, I'm talking about how Christianity is, is not about performance. Jesus has certainly done everything. He, you know, on the cross, he said, it is finished. And I said this in passing, but this doesn't mean, I'm, I'm not saying for a second that obedience isn't necessary. Um, like I referenced James, faith without works is dead and all that stuff, but uh, which is absolutely true. I'm just saying our obedience has to be motivated by the right thing. And just to be transparent with you guys, this is an area where I really need to grow because while I have, you know, really obeyed externally quite a bit, uh, you know, I, I just don't, I'm, a lot of the time, I don't think it was actually motivated by love for the Lord. And I've begun to really see that clearly now. Um, and I've been learning a lot through my wife, Lacey, who really, really does uh, really does love the Lord and just looking at myself and just seeing, man, I really need to grow in this area and then allowing the Lord to just show me, um, just, uh, how much he loves me and just kind of sit in that. And then for that to just kind of wash over me and transform me, it's been a very encouraging, very freeing and, and very exciting process. And so that's what I want to share with you guys today. So all of that to say this, like I said, if we want to grow in our, you know, love for the Lord, which will, of course, then work itself out in our behaviors, then we need to grow in our understanding of his love for us. That's where we need to start. We need to grow in our understanding for his love for us. And so what we're looking at today for the remainder of this episode is we are going to look at some of the things that Jesus has done for us, some of the effects of the gospel, some of the results of it in the life of the believer, in the life of the person who has um, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And um, so this, uh, just a couple of disclaimers going into this, we're not, this list is not intended to be exhaustive. I mean, I'm certainly still learning myself. And and two, I don't claim to fully understand everything we're about to discuss. However, even if we don't fully understand it, we can still acknowledge the reality of it. What I mean, what I mean is this. We're going to read what the scripture says uh, about various things, and we're going to acknowledge and agree with the scriptures, even if we don't fully currently understand it, as if we, you know, fully understand anything. But but you know what I mean. So I'm just going to put forth all these things, uh, really just as points for further thought and prayer. So um, what we're talking about, like I said, is just we're going to talk about some of the effects of the gospel, some of the results of Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf. And the reason why I want to do this is because as we go through this list, we are going to, um, we're just going to see the love of God displayed in incredible ways, his, his love for us and everything, you know, and, and, and what he went through. Cause when we say the gospel, a lot of times what comes to my mind or comes to our minds, um, would be like, okay, forgiveness of sins. 
yeah, okay, it's like uh, my sins have been forgiven, and so now I can be with the Lord when I die. And that's true. That's obviously true. That's a big component of the gospel, but so much more. It's so much more than that. Like I said, we're not going to exhaust it, but we are going to touch on it today. And so these aren't in any particular order. Um, But before we get started, I want to pause and I'm going to pray. Because these are things that I can say them to you. And that's, that's great. I hope they, you know, sink down into your hearts. And even as I'm talking, I hope it sinks down deeper into my heart. But that's something that only the Holy Spirit can do. That's something that only the Lord can do. He is the one who opens our eyes um, to to these spiritual realities. And in fact, uh, in um, Matthew chapter sixteen here, this is um, I'm a. I'll just start reading in verse thirteen. I just want to point out one thing. Matthew sixteen thirteen and following. It says, "Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is?'" And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And so that was through verse 17. And so that, that's, our, that's our prayer here, just that our father who is in heaven will reveal these things to us, um, not just in an informational way, but that he will enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that he will really help us not just to agree with these things, but to truly understand and believe them. And in fact, I, I did an episode all about just what I just talked about right there called Meditating on the Scriptures Part 1. I believe it was episode number seven. And so I will... Um, I, you can go check that out if you want more information on what I just said. But let's just pause and pray briefly, and then we will um, go through this list. So, Father, thank you um, for this time that we have to talk about your word, Lord. We just ask for your help. We ask for your help. We ask for you to open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, so that we can really, really understand these things in a special way, so that we can know them and believe them, not just intellectually with our heads, Lord, but really in our hearts. Lord, help us to understand the gospel more. Help us to understand what you've done for us, Lord, and help us to understand, please, how much uh, you love us, Lord, because we know that we're transformed by your love. And so, Lord, we just ask for your help with that and um, knowing that that will just lead to love for you and love for others. But God, we love you and we praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this list, um, I've just called it Because of What Jesus Has Done, which is, of course, also the title of this episode. And so each of these sentences starts with that phrase, because of what Jesus has done. So I'm just going to go through this. Because of what Jesus has done, all of our sins and shortcomings are completely and totally covered I'm sorry, covered and forgiven. And then... Um, let me read you a couple of scriptures. Ephesians 1, 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And then also Colossians 2, 13 through 14, And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so um, the first item is that all of our sins and shortcomings are completely and totally covered and forgiven. Um, Like it says in these passages, in Jesus, we experience total forgiveness for our sins. Now, this, of course, doesn't mean that, I mean, yeah, and this isn't trying to, I mean, okay, yeah, sin still has consequences in the here and now. 
and the discipline of the Lord, you know, Hebrews chapter 12, that's, you know, that's, that's a real thing where if we're walking in sin and, you know, for anyone who's born again, the Lord will correct us. But I'm talking about our position before God, our standing before him, because of what Jesus has done, nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. All of our sins and shortcomings are completely, they're completely paid for. They're atoned for. Like there it says in Colossians, it says all our trespasses, not some, not most, not many, but all, all of them. And think about how freeing that is if you really believe that all of your sins are paid for. Will that not lead to gratitude? So much of, you know, so many of the struggles in the Christian life come from trying to be good enough for God or trying to keep God happy with us and trying to live good enough. But the point is Jesus already did that and he took care of our sins. So we, you know, we, we experience forgiveness. And remember, with this whole topic of the discipline of the Lord, the discipline is motivated by his love for us. His love was never lost. And that's Hebrews chapter 12. You can read Hebrews 12, 3 through 13 sometime if you want more information about that. But even when he's correcting us for the things that we've done wrong, this has, that has nothing to do with In fact, it's his love that motivates it. And so his love was never compromised for us. His love is set on us in Christ Jesus because of what he has done. All of our sins and shortcomings are completely and totally covered and forgiven. The second item on the list is because of what Jesus has done, we have been redeemed. Now, redeemed basically means like um, a price was paid to secure our freedom. It uh, um, one thing I learned was that it it could be used. Uh, the word could be used to describe a a slave being bought out of slavery, like being uh, in reference to the slave's freedom, and so. Let me just give you a verse here. So we actually looked at one of the verses already. Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And then Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so we see that the ideas of redemption and forgiveness are are you know linked here. They're, they're closely related. And so... You know, Jesus paid our sin debt. He paid um, the wrath. You can say it like this. The wrath of God has been fully satisfied and no longer rests on us. And no longer rests on us. Our debt has been fully paid. Jesus was the propitiation. He died in our place. Um, we read Colossians 2, 13 and 14 a minute ago as well, which says, And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Um, you know, we've all, we had all, like it says in Romans you know, 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all, fallen short of God's perfect standard. And, uh, we have, um, we've all missed the mark. We have, you know, all broken, um, the law. We all fall short of that. We all need forgiveness. We all need redemption. And Jesus did on our behalf what we could never do. He lived a perfect life and died in our place. Romans 3, 23 through 26 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So you heard our word in there, um, redemption through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. However, that, um, 
that there's a lot of really big words in that passage. I want to read that same passage out of the New Living Translation that puts it um, in a way that's maybe a little bit easier for us to understand, which says, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So, um, so right there where it says, people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrifices life, shedding his blood. You know, earlier in verse 25 there, it says, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. So we see that Jesus, he... He paid the price for our sin. He died in our place. Now, just as a quick side note, this forgiveness is not applied to everyone. It's offered to everyone. However, it's not immediately applied to everyone because it says right here um, that it has to be received by faith. It says people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrifices life, shedding his blood. Um, we we know, you know, like it's for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that who whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, whoever believes in him. So this isn't just, you know, universal salvation. This is for those who place their faith and their trust in him. Um, and so it says, and I want to go back to the ESV, the English Standard Version, which I was reading out of. And it says, um, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so if you think about that, it's like, okay, God is just in that the righteous requirement of the law was met in Jesus. And God did not lower his holy standard at all. However, he also is the one who justifies us because, you know, Jesus' righteousness is then placed on us because he died in our place. And so, um, so simply put, you know, Jesus paid our debt. He was our propitiation. He died in our place. The wrath of God has been fully satisfied and no longer rests on us. And another way, we're redeemed from slavery to sin as well. Um, we're Because, you know, we're, we're set free from sin. We're purchased out of and set free from a slavery from which we could never um, free ourselves. In fact, um, episode... 14 of this podcast, Our Funeral Leads to Our Freedom, uh, goes on and talks uh, about some of that and in, in from Romans 6. But let's let's keep going down the list. Um, we're going to pick up the pace a little bit here. So um, because of what Jesus has done, we have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. Ephesians 1, 4, the, the end of Ephesians 1, 4, and then verse 5 as well says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Um, Next item. Because of what Jesus has done, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Um. Next on the uh, next item is uh, because of what Jesus has done, we are holy and blameless before God. Ephesians uh, one four, um, the the first part of the verse says, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Because of what Jesus has done, um, we have been justified. 
Uh, in other words, we have been made righteous, made right. We, we are approved of and accepted by God. Um, Romans 8, 33 through 34 says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So right there, who can bring any charge against us? You know, if God justifies us, then who can bring any charge against us? Who is to condemn us? Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is, of course, talking about Jesus. And so we see he takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. And so... Um, in Christ, we have been justified. We are made right. We are made righteous. We are approved of and accepted by God. Um, and we, you know, we just spent a lot of time in Romans three twenty three through twenty six. That's another passage where where we see this. Um, I'll just read the very first part of it here, where it says, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift." So, uh, moving on, um, because of what Jesus has done, we don't have to be perfect. We put no confidence in the flesh. We are freed from looking for a righteousness of our own that would come by trying to keep the law. Now, um, let me say, obviously, this isn't a license to sin. I mean, if we love Jesus, if we are really you know, convinced of his love for us and we love him back, then we're not looking for loopholes. We're looking for ways just to love him and obey him and to follow him. I mean, if we're looking for loopholes, then we are, that's an indication that we're not loving him as we should. If we're looking for, you know, the bare minimum that we have to do uh, for the Lord, that's not motivated by love. That's some sort of like legalistic obligation and duty. And so I would say, you know, if, if you hear this and you say, oh, sweet, I don't have to be perfect. So I'm going to go do X, Y, or Z that, that indicates a lack of love. And Paul said it this way in Romans six, one, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And that was also verse two. That was Romans six, one and two. And so, but this should be, but for the person who really wants to please the Lord, this should be extremely freeing. We don't have to be perfect because Jesus was. We put no confidence in the flesh. We are freed from looking for a righteousness of our own that would come by trying to keep the law. Um, Paul says in Philippians 3, 8 and, 9, uh, 8 and 9, he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen closely to this. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So where does the righteousness come from? Well, it comes, it's from the Lord, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, but that which comes through faith in Christ, not a righteousness of our own. And so we're, we're righteous because of what Jesus has done. And we appropriate that through faith. Um, Romans 6.14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. We don't have to be perfect. We put no confidence in the flesh. We are freed from looking for righteousness of our own that would come by trying to keep the law. Why? Because, because of what Jesus has done for us. Because of what he has done for us. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. And, I mean, that's just the whole thing. We could never attain righteousness through the law. I mean, it's just, that's... We, you know, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, moving on, because of what Jesus has done, we have peace with God. 
Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus has done, we live in the grace of God. Romans 5, 2 says, through him, we all, I'm sorry, let me start over. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Because of what Jesus has, uh, what, because of what Jesus has done, uh, who we are is not who we were. We've been made new. We died with Christ and were raised with him. Romans 6, 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is a really famous passage when we're talking about this. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Moving on, um, because of what Jesus has done, there is no condemnation for us. Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for us. Why? Because the penalty has been paid. Um, the price has been paid on our behalf because of what Jesus has done. So um, next on the list, because of what Jesus has done, we have the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9 through 11 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Everyone who is truly born again has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. It says that explicitly here. It says anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And so because of what Jesus has done, um, you know, the Holy Spirit came and he indwells all all true believers. Now, you remember when Jesus returned to heaven, um, then he sent the helper, the Spirit. And... Um, talks about this a lot in, you know, Rome, uh, I'm sorry, John 14, 15, 16, um, Acts chapter, you know, one and, and two. And so, but, uh, so let's, let's move on down the list. Um, because of what Jesus has done, we are heirs with Christ. Romans eight sixteen through 17 says the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Next item, um, because of what Jesus has done, all things work together for our good. Romans eight twenty eight and 29 say, um, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so there in verse 29, the good of verse 28 is defined, and, and that is being conformed to the image of his son. And so, um, you know, because of what Jesus has done is all things are going to be used to make us look more like him. Everything, all things. Nothing's going to be wasted. And that's, that's wonderful. That's just a really, a wonderful, um, a wonderful truth to remember. Um, moving on because of what Jesus has done, we are more than conquerors through him. Romans eight thirty eight says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And, uh, next item, because of what Jesus has done, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Romans eight thirty eight through 39 says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angel, angels, nor rulers, 
nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from his love. It's secure. It's safe. And think about how free we'd be if we really believe that his love for us is secure and nothing can separate us from that. Uh, moving on, because of what Jesus has done, we are seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then, because of what Jesus has done, we have direct access to God through Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3, 11 through 12 says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then I also want to include Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 here, which says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And that's the end of that passage. And that's drawing very clearly and heavily on tabernacle and, and temple, uh, imagery here. And so it's interesting because Jesus is both the the priest and the sacrifice. And uh, but it says we can enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Remember where where was God's presence the, mo- the, the the strongest right there? It was in the holy of holies and you know and so we can enter the holy places, we can enter into the temple because of the blood of Jesus. In other words, we have access to the presence of God because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And so this list is not exhaustive. And we, each one of these items could have been its full, a full episode in and of itself. But one of the ones I just want to return to in this list here um, is how we've been adopted as sons and daughters of God. There's one other verse that I want to read that I did not include in the ones I read, I read under that. And that's John 1, um, 12 and 13. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And um, because of what Jesus has done, God is our father. And so this, this list is, um, honestly, this is something I have been trying to read through recently. It is something I've tried to um, just read through at least once during the day. Uh, um, I, I have it written in a more personalized way, not saying, um, our and we, but, but like I and my, and, uh, just to, just to really drive home how personal it is, you know, for, for me. And so, for example, I've, I've been trying to, to say daily because of what Jesus has done, all of my sins and shortcomings are completely and totally covered and forgiven. I have been redeemed. I have been adopted as a son of God. I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I am holy and blameless before God. Just going down the list. And, and so, um, I would of course encourage you to do that as well, but I would, I would encourage you to, to seek the Lord 
and to ask him to, to make these things real to you and to help you to understand and to believe his love for you as you move into this new year. Because if you do, this year will be entirely different. You know, if you are operating from a place of being filled up with the love of God, and that's just spilling over, then so much striving will cease. So much peace will come. And like I prayed near the, you know, before we started the list, going through the list, um, ask the Lord just to open your eyes to these things. And, you know, and in these episodes, we don't normally do lists kind of like this. Um, but, but it's my hope that at least the few of the items really stood out to you, um, that they really stuck out to you and, and that the Lord really spoke to you through them. But let me just reiterate one thing I said earlier in the episode, that these things don't apply to everyone across the board um, indiscriminately. These apply to people who are born again, people who have placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as as their Lord and their Savior. And um, so that's simply to say this, if that's not you, it can be you, and it can be you today. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, you know, just because um, someone grew up in church, just because someone prayed some sort of prayer, you know, all these things does not automatically indicate that they're born again. And the question is really, really boils down to, do they know the Lord? Do they actually uh, know Jesus? John, um, Jesus said in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And and so I just want to, to, to say that clearly. And um, if you have any questions about that, I would encourage you to go back and listen to episode 24 of this podcast entitled um, The Gospel. And that's what we talk about the whole time. We talk about the gospel. And um, and so I just, uh, and one other one other indicator is, you know, we're talking a lot today about obedience to God. If there is absolutely no desire to obey God, or if there is just zero conviction over sin um, in someone's life, then, then I would encourage that person to look in the mirror and ask the Lord, am I truly born again? And if so, why, why do I not feel any conviction? So I just wanted to include that as well. So in closing, for anybody who feels led to help support the podcast, um, I just want to talk about the Bible is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means that all gifts given are tax deductible and information on how to give can be found at the bottom of each episode description in the, the show notes of the episode. So thanks so much to all who have given, and I hope that you guys have um, a wonderful start to your new year. God bless you.